Welcome home. For those of you on site and for those of you online as well, it's great to have you with us. And as Austin has already said this morning, if you're a guest with us for the first time this morning, we want to welcome you as well. And I'd love, I'd love to meet you. Even if you've been here, you know, two or three times and I haven't met you after the service, I'll go out into the, at what we call common ground out there and I'll be around and I'd love to say hello to you. Uh, I'm not sure if they're still there or the table's still there, but earlier on this morning I had the privilege and the opportunity to meet a group of black women leaders. And they were part of Elim. Some of them were from Elim. I think one or two were from other spaces as well. But they had a table out there. And uh, it was an excellent, great opportunity to say hi. And, uh, you know, what they've done is they've put together uh, a book of stories, inspirational stories from black women leaders, and I think it's particularly from Canada, but I know some of them are from Saskatoon as well. And if you're a a black woman leader or aspiring leader, I'd love to point you to their website and you just search, go through Google, black women leaders Saskatoon. You'll find the book and uh, you'll find a bit of information on there as well. So it's great great to meet them there this morning. One thing I I don't want us to forget in the busyness, in the stuff that's going on, and even in the passage of time, is that it's been a year since the invasion of Ukraine by hostile Russian forces. And I think, you know, when you have one thing after another, we can forget to pray. And there's still destruction, there is still so much going on out there, and we need to remember that We have Ukrainians that are part of our community. We have people that are mourning the loss of friendships and families of people that are still there. And so we need to continue to pray. It's also been about three weeks since the devastating earthquakes in Turkey. And we've just heard that there have been more going on there as well. And there's still, the death toll is still rising. This last week, a friend of mine who was playing soccer out there, uh, his body has been found and he's been repatriated for his funeral in his native Ghana. And for that as well, we cannot forget to pray. So I'd love, before we come around the word, for all of us to stand together and pray. Pray into those situations, but pray that our hearts will be ready to receive the word of God. Father God, I thank you for this community. I thank you for the diversity that I see before me. God, I thank you that we have so many connections across the world right at this moment, but sometimes those connections can be painful because of loss, because of distance, because of pain, because of suffering. And God, we pray continually for those that are in Ukraine. We pray, God, that you will bring peace as only you can bring peace. We pray for for comfort for the families that are mourning and in suffering. And the same, we pray for those in Turkey and Syria and the surrounding areas and those of us that have been personally affected as well. God, we pray your comfort into our situations. In the name of Jesus. God, we also pray that as we open our hearts and minds to what you want to say to us, Lord, I pray that we will be receptive. I pray that we will be open. And I pray, God, that your presence will be 
felt in this place. We acknowledge that you are already here, but God, I pray that we will feel your very presence. In the name of Jesus, amen. Why don't you grab your seats? So Dee and I have flown quite a few times over our years. We've been on holiday together and we've had opportunity to do ministry trips and things like that. But I've actually probably flown a bit more than Dee. And the reality is we're different. Even in our personalities, you meet us and we are very, very different. But when we fly, that difference becomes more and more evident. If I'm going somewhere, I'm on a mission. Anyone else like that? If we're, even if we're driving somewhere, right, in the car, we've got to go, got packed, we're going now. Well, do you, are you ready? Yes, but you haven't, you're not ready. You, you, you haven't even got dressed. Yeah, but I'm ready. I'm nearly ready. No, I asked if you were ready. You said yes, which is evidently you are not. Anyone else feel my pain? So if I'm going somewhere, I'm on a mission. So, sometimes to the point of obsession. Dee's a bit more relaxed about it. You know, especially if we're going on holiday. It's like, yeah, no, the plane will not wait for us. And I have had the privilege to fly over the past few years. And I've learned a few tricks when I fly to make the journey, journey for me, easier anyway. I, I prepare for security. I'm one of these people that, that I dress appropriately when I go through securities. I know it's a bit, you know, it's not as tight as it used to be now, but I, wore, I wear loose-fitting trainers so I can slip them on and off if it's you know, really tight and you have to, they ask you to put your trainers up there. No bling. D is like Mr. T. Anyone remember Mr. T? Half a ton of gold. I'm, and she's, I'm, I'm through and she's still there. I'm on my third burger and she's still taking her bling off. I have an easily removable belt. I check for liquids before I get to the conveyor belt. I don't have to go through all my bags. I have them in, I'm already prepared. And, uh, but I, I still have this sense of uneasiness. You know, it's like when the police pull out behind you and you, you check your speed. Am I doing anything? And, and, but I have this sense of unease as I go through security because I remember once they opened my laptop and they did this swab and then they said, sir, could you come with me please? I'm like, oh no. Fortunately, I didn't see him putting the rubber gloves on, but I had to go in the room and have the, anyway, we won't go into that. I'm not a, a seasoned traveler like my friend Scott Wilson. He's always one that's on the, on the plane first. And, uh, but there is a difference between those that travel a lot and those that don't. Those that don't tend to have laced up boots, lots of jewelries, you know, they've forgotten to take the pen knife out of the pocket or there's a bottle of water that they've forgotten about so you have to glug it or throw it. And uh, they're usually in front of me in the queue, by the way. Yep, that's the way it is. But there is a difference between those that prepare and those that don't. Have you noticed that many of us want to be different, but we also crave to be with our people? It's amazing how you can notice familiar accents across the other side of a crowded, noisy room, but you can 
You hear your own accent somewhere. I recognize that English accent. Or I recognize that Canadian accent when you're in a group of English people. Husbands, have you ever heard this fatal phrase or question? As your wife walks through the door and she says, do you notice anything different? Don't get involved. Pretend you didn't hear. Uh, just pretend to faint. Do something, get out of the room, but don't get involved. Today I want to talk about what makes us different. And this message actually could be seen by some as a legalistic talk about behavior. It is not. It is not about our behavior. But if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If we are not different, we are not different. I know it's deep. I'll explain a bit more. But there should be something that distinguishes the church. The body of people who follow Jesus from the world around us. Let me read this from the message version. Romans 12 verse 2. And this is, this is a, the writer Paul and he's writing to this group of Christians who are in the middle, right in the, in the city that is supposedly the center of the civilized world around at that time. And Paul says this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Don't become so well-adjusted to, to our culture that we actually fit in without thinking. We don't ask the questions. We, don't, we just take things on board. We absorb them without even thinking, is that right? Is that good? And I want, to look, I want us to look at what makes us different. Over the past couple of months, I've been doing some reflecting and self-examination. Not just who I am or who I have been, but more importantly, who do I want to be? And actually, what do I want to be known for? In the Old Testament, we, we see and we read that God chooses, he actually chooses one person or one family for his own. But out of that one family, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And he doesn't choose them because they're special. He doesn't choose this family, Abraham and Sarah, because they're better than anyone else. He just chooses them. And he chooses them to be a people for his own. We now call them the Jewish people. The children of Israel, they call them in the Bible. And in, in the book of Exodus, as, as these group of people who were in slavery for 430 years, God chooses a leader to bring them out of slavery. And then God says, I want you to build a home for me. A sanctuary, it's called. And it's essentially, it's a big tent. Anyone remember those old tent meetings? No, I don't either. But God 
God tells Moses, I want you to build this place where I'm going to be and I'm going to meet with my people. But here's the interesting thing. And it's one of those things, and I'm, every year I read through the Bible, I try and get through it, generally takes me a bit more than a year. But there's certain books, and I don't know if I'm, as a pastor I'm allowed to say this, but there's certain books or parts of books that are quite difficult to read. Have you ever noticed that? Leviticus being one of them. Exodus, where it just gives a whole set of building instructions. I know that we have some people that work in construction, and you probably really enjoy reading about how things are built, but I don't. But God says to Moses, I want you to build this place of meeting. Here's the interesting thing. He doesn't start with the tent. He doesn't start with, hey, let's build the outside. You know, if you're going camping, one of the things that you have to do is build, get the outside done quickly, build some, some place of shelter, and then you can get in and you can build a bit more inside. But God starts with the inside. He starts with the very heart of the meeting place. Can we go a bit Indiana Jones for a moment, for those of you that remember Indy? Hey, Indy! Anyway... Let's go in search of something sacred and old. Exodus 25, verses 10 and 11. This is God speaking to Moses. He said, have them make a chest of, I still don't know how to pronounce this well, acacia, I think it is, acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. So they made this chest made of wood. But then he says, overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out. Make a gold molding around it. Now, that may not seem important, but I want you to remember that. It's made of wood and overlaid with gold. And we'll come back to that in a bit. And what happens is that there is this picture of the temple that God gives to Moses. And it actually gives us a picture of the temple or the sanctuary and what it contains if we read it. It also tells of all the rituals that are needed to be carried out to meet with God. And there was a lot. There was a lot of things, a lot of, a lot of hoops that people had to jump through to meet with God. You probably walked, got out of your car, walked into the building this morning, maybe took your coat off, if you didn't have to walk through the entrance B and then up here. But there was a lot of rituals that people had to go through to make sure that they could get into this place. And only, only the representative of the people, the priest, could enter into the very holy of holies, it was called. Now stay with me on this, because it's really important. They had to wear special underwear. I was going to say, is anyone wearing special underwear this morning? But I won't ask that. Special clothes. They had to wear a turban. They had to take with them a bull, a ram, and two goats. And only once a year, on the Day of Atonement, could they actually go into this place where the Ark of the Covenant was. Now you think, well, what's that got to do with me, with us here? This is important. You see, this wasn't just an Old Testament ritual. It was actually, as we read the Old Testament, there's so much of this in the Old Testament. It was actually pointing forward 
to Jesus in the New Testament. It was actually pointing us, as we read the Old Testament, it's not just a nice group of stories, it's actually saying what's happening here points forward to something really, really important that's coming and that means so much to us still here today. See, the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't just something that Indiana Jones searched for, the Germans searched for in the story. It was actually a symbol of God's presence. It was a symbol of God's presence. It wasn't God's presence. It was a symbol of God's presence. In the same way, if I take out my wallet, you'll see something that represents... I have a picture of myself and my wife in there. Something that represents... It's not my wife. I don't carry my wife around in my wallet. It's quite difficult. But there's something in my wallet that's a symbol of our relationship that reminds me every time I open my wallet, don't spend that because of what your wife... No, it doesn't say that. It reminds me of my relationship and my love for my wife. You see, and in the ark, there's three things. The Bible tells us three things that were placed in the ark. Three things that actually when we read about them, signify the children of Israel's failure. That's, that's tough. Imagine that. Imagine having to carry around and, and know that over there are three things that represent my failure. The three things were manna, the food that God gave people to eat. You see, that represented people's complaining about God and his lack of provision. And God said, I am going to provide for you. But it came about because people moaned. They complained. They whinged. And then in there is Aaron's rod, his staff. Aaron was one of the leaders of the children of Israel and a lot of the people complained about Aaron and so God said, bring me Aaron's staff, bring me all your staffs and one of these will bud and Aaron's rod budded. You see, Aaron's rod represented people's rebellion. So the manna represented their moaning but the rod represented the rebellion. Are you still with me on this? I'm just teaching you a bit of history because we're going somewhere in a moment. But also, also the tablets of the Ten Commandments were placed in there as well. And this represented people's disobedience. It represented people saying to God, we can obey you. And then moments later, Moses came back down. God had given him the law and he smashed the tablets because of people's disobedience. Imagine carrying around with you the symbols of your failure. <laughs> Actually, we all do that, don't we? If we're honest, can we be honest with ourselves? We carry around the symbols of our failure in our heads. They may not be, they may not be a staff or, or food or tablets so often they're words that we repeat over and over in our heads about ourselves to ourselves. Or maybe words that other people have said about us or to us. And we carry our own failure. Sometimes we carry other people's failure in much the same way. 
But there's actually another way of looking at these three symbols. There's another way of looking at the manna, at the staff, and at the tablets of stone. You see, these three items also show us Jesus. The manna represents God's provision. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. God's provision, not just of food, but of life. Aaron's rod represents God's authority. Jesus himself said, all authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. Exercise the authority that's been given to me. The manna represents God's provision. The rod or staff represents God's authority. And the stone tablets of law. I love this. We mostly, most of us have heard of the Ten Commandments. Do you know what the Ten Commandments represent? Not just do this, don't do this. They actually show us we can't even abide by ten, never mind the six hundred that are written in the Bible. See, the law was to show us our inadequacy before God. Well, where's the good news in that? Good question. See, God shows us our inadequacy so that he can show us himself. The law represents God's grace. God says, you cannot do this by yourself. You can't forgive your own sin. You can hardly forgive the person next to you. And you cannot forgive your own sin. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a plan in place. It's going to allow me to take all the stuff, all the sin, all the bad things mounted one on top of the other. And I'm going to take them on myself. Because you cannot. See, when we look in the ark, it may seem like a bit of history to us. But it's actually pointing forward to who Jesus was, is. It points to his provision, it points to his authority, and it points to his grace. See, what's different? It's Jesus. Moses, later on, says this. Exodus 33 says, and this is Moses talking to God, and God says, The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. What else will distinguish us? What else will make us different from everyone else around us? What makes us different? It's not our behavior. It's not the fact that we obey all the don't do's and the do do's. Yes, I said do do in church. Get your sniggers out the way now. It's the presence of God. We've already sung about it this morning. 
There is no longer a temple or a sanctuary. There is no longer an ark. It is not buried in in the U.S. in the annals of whatever it is where Indiana Jones put it. There's no longer a temple. There's no longer an ark because we carry the presence of the living God with us. You see, we are the new temple. And Jesus is the new ark. Indiana Jones doesn't have to go and look for it because we carry him with us. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Not only as individuals, but also as a community. Ephesians 2, in him, 22 to 20, 21 to 22, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We don't need a temple or a sanctuary. We don't need the ark. Why? Because we carry presence of God with us both as individuals and as a community how incredible is that we don't just come to church to sing some songs and listen to whoever's on the platform to meet friends we come as God's people together to be in his presence and to bring his presence just a little aside that as followers of Jesus, we do need to remember when God chose the people, he chose as his people so that they could be different, but also to be a blessing to the world around us. Not to set them, yes, they were set apart, but they weren't set outside to keep everyone else away. They were chosen to bless the world so that God could use them to bless the world. Are we doing the same? Are we God's people blessing the world? Or have we become so entrenched, so fortified in our thinking and our behavior that no one could get in and no blessing can get out? See, these things that we mentioned in the ark are all contained and covered in Jesus. Jesus carried the presence of God on earth, his provision, his authority, his plan of grace. But not only did he carry it, when people were in his presence, they became different. Acts 4.13 says this, when they, that's, the, the Pharisees and the people that had come to get Peter and John and put them in prison, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. These men, these people had been with Jesus. What will people notice about us? I talked last week about a boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit but when people walk into this room and maybe you're here for the first time and never been in church before I pray that the thing that you noticed is our love for each other this this is our gold standard this is our 
gold star of recognition is our love for each other. That's what people should notice about us. Being in the presence of God will change us. Too often we try and get the behaviours right. We try and legislate for behaviour or, or set rules for behaviour. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if it doesn't start from the inside, there is no point whatsoever. But being in the presence of God should and will change us. Husbands will love their wives at a deeper level. Fathers will be more committed to our children. There will be less gossip. There will be more grace and forgiveness. Why? Because we've gone through a behavior modification program? No, because we've been in the presence of God and we will live a transformed life because of that. Does that mean we won't get things wrong? No, it definitely doesn't. All you have to do is look at the person next to you and realize they get it wrong all the time. Obviously not you, just them. It doesn't mean to say we won't get it wrong. But here's the thing. When we get it wrong, we can live in the provision of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, and the grace of Jesus. It means that our failure can actually be the place of intersection with his presence. That thing, that event, that burden that you carry can actually be the very thing that Jesus use, uses to show his provision, his authority and his grace. Can we stop carrying our past as the place of our failures and begin to see it as the place where God's grace and love and forgiveness intersects with our life, the place of his presence? How do I know that? Because Jesus said, I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. What do you do when you're sick? You go to the doctor. You see, if we think we're well, we don't need anything. But Jesus says that place, that stuff of life, the failure, the sin, whatever you want to call it that you're carrying around, that is the very thing that can bring you into the presence of Jesus. In the same way that God Search for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in their failure. He still comes looking for you and for me, for us. See, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you're not here by chance. You're not here even, even if you did wake up this morning and decide, I just need to be in church. I talked to someone a few months ago who said that. I just decided I needed to be in church. That's not by chance. That's because God has been searching for you and leading you and bringing you to this place to hear this message, to be with this people, maybe even to hear the words of a song that have connected with you. He's come searching for you. See, it's not the difference that we should be looking for. 
It is His presence. The difference comes as a result of His presence. When we try and build from the outside in, it doesn't work, but God builds from the inside out. He starts with the ark. He starts with placing Jesus in the middle of our lives. When we look at how the ark was built, remember I talked about that. It's wood. In the Bible, wood represents humanity. But it's not just made of wood. It's overlaid with gold, and gold represents divinity. So we know that the ark, this thing that God placed in the middle, represents, it pointed forward to Jesus because it was made of both wood and gold, humanity and divinity. As a follower of Jesus, we can get lost, and I do this all the time. I pray for what he brings me. And there's nothing wrong to pray for healing, for provision, for life change. But what we really need is, as the founder of our denomination, A.B. Simpson said, is himself. Jesus is our healer. He is our sanctifier. He is our savior. He is the soon and coming king. And he brings those things to us, but there is nothing without his presence. And everything that we pray for will come as a result of his presence. You see, if we're not different, we're not different. It's the presence of God that should mark us, that should distinguish us, that should make us different. Romans 12, can I go back to that? Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Not just a, oh, there's God in the distance. That's not what Paul was saying here. It's not a, a, a person or a, an experience to run toward. It is fix our attention on being in the presence of God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you. Always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings out. He doesn't bring in, he brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Don't get dragged down into negativity, unforgiveness, bitterness, gossip, self-centeredness. We all do it. We all get there. But we can come back to the presence of Jesus. And too often as the church, we've reduced holiness to a set of behaviors. I do this or I don't do that. But the behaviors are only a symptom of the presence. Because we are set apart because we become a blessing to the world around us. We carry the presence of the living, powerful God. The temple was built from the inside out. Will we allow our lives to be, brought, to be built from the inside out? I love this quote from Mike Glenn, who's a very well-respected U.S. pastor, and he said this, The world isn't mad at the church because we're different. They're mad because we aren't different enough. 
When you've been touched by God, not only do you stop doing wrong, you start doing right. If we're different, we're different. Imagine if people began to see something that distinguishes us from the world around us, something they can't explain by behavior modification. They may not like it because darkness often cannot stand the light. We're different because we're different. We will speak differently, we will act differently. And we're being changed from the inside out. What is different is that we carry the presence of Jesus with us. It's not just a one-off experience. Oh, I've been there, done that, I carry, that's it. I've done, I don't need to do any more of that. No, no, it's a continuous thing. There'll be a continued thirsting and longing to experience Jesus more. Remember an old song, and I love this, and I've quoted the word so many times, to be in your presence, to sit at your feet where your love surrounds me and makes me complete. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2 says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet God? Maybe your longing has been for God's provision, for his authority, for his grace. But they will only come from the continued and increasing presence of Jesus. See, we don't have to beg him, but we do need to long for him. We don't have to ritualize him, but we do need to set aside time for him. We actually don't need to search for him because he has come looking for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, I pray. I pray for your presence. I thank you for your presence here in this place. Whether we experience it through relationship with others or in times of worship or coming around the word, God, I pray that we would experience your presence more and more in an ever-increasing way. And I pray, God, that out of that presence and experience of you, that our lives will be built just like your sanctuary will be built from the inside out, not from the outside in, but from the inside out because we carry Jesus, the wood of his humanity and the gold of his divinity. We can know his provision, we can know his authority, his authority over sickness. His authority over circumstances, his authority over sin, and we can know his grace. His grace which searches us out, his grace which forgives us. Thank you, God.